0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest with us this evening, again, we welcome you. Uh, glad that you're here. If you would, each one be opening to First Chronicles, First Chronicles, the ninth chapter on your pew Bible. That'll be page 366. And uh, you will need to be following along in your own scriptures this evening. We'll have some slides, but most Uh, or the scriptures will not be a part of those slides. So be sure and open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles, the ninth chapter, or grab a pew Bible there, and we will study along together. It is exciting to think about that it's almost vacation Bible school time again. Make your plans to be a part of it. Make your plans to have your children and your grandchildren here. Go ahead and make your plans to be inviting your neighbors and providing rides if you can and if they need it. And let's be sure that we talk it up and that we do everything that we can do uh, to make it the, the success that it can and ought to be in the sight of God. Uh, this is one of the greatest tools to reach out in our community that we're a part of each year. And so let's make sure that we're reminded of that and we're aware of it. And let's think about it and pray about it ahead of time. And let's go ahead and be thinking about those people we're going to invite uh, I want to encourage our youth, go ahead and, and start inviting. And let's make sure uh, that we make this uh, something that, that not only will be a great week in and of itself, but there will be seeds planted there, and there will be people reached out to there that surely will make a difference for eternity. Let's make our plans for that. First Chronicles, the first nine chapters, is as one scholar said, it wasn't really written to be read as a devotional. Instead, it's a lot of history. But no doubt it's history that God gives us as we work through the genealogies to show us the origin of mankind from Adam and Eve all the way through the period of exile. Now, as one has said, it reminds us that the Scriptures is not just legendary. There's real people, real events. It actually all took place. It follows a history. As we read through this, it's easy to get kind of lost in all the names that are tied up there. But you remember that great prayer that in First Chronicles, the fourth chapter in 9 and 10, that has been known now as Jabez's prayer? Just think, if we just skimmed over these passages and never slowed down to look at some very important things that are taught about these individuals and what they did among all of these names... What I'd like to do with you over the next few minutes is just study 1 Chronicles, the ninth chapter. There are a lot of names mentioned there, but in the midst of the names, there's some wonderful and challenging things. For example, right out of the gate, by way of introduction, I want to remind you of what the writer tells us in the ninth chapter in verse 1. So all of Israel was recorded by genealogies, and indeed, they were inscribed in the book of the kings of Israel, but Judah was carried away captive to Babylon because of their unfaithfulness. Isn't it amazing how God can so oftentimes say something with such brevity? All that led up to the children of Israel's decay that would lead them into exile. The fall of of the northern kingdom and then eventually the fall of the southern kingdom and all of the poor kings that led to that and all of the sinful decisions that led to that. And then the exile itself. And how is it that the Lord said it here? It was this simple. It happened because of unfaithfulness. Friends, you and I can never, never lose sight of how important it is to get up and serve God today and get up and do it again tomorrow. When we can do that day in and day out where we can say, I am God's child and I'm not just God's child for a sprint. I want to be a faithful child of God for the endurance, for the long haul, for the marathon. The children of Israel struggled with that. And I would guess that if any of us were being completely honest, all of us could say either I've struggled with that or I can easily understand how that is a struggle. It's easy to get excited about Christianity for a short stint of time, but the real question is am I willing to deny self and follow the Lord and put His will above my will and be submissive to Him in all things day after day. As we go into this chapter though, we have the genealogy that tells us about some of the priests beginning in 10. Some of these priests are mentioned in 10, 11, and 12. And I'd like for you to notice what is said about these individuals in verse 13. And their brethren, heads of their fathers' houses, 1,760. Now notice this sentence. They were very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. What a compliment. But when you go back and you look at these words in depth, when you look at them from from the original Hebrew, you see that really there's probably a lot more being said than just very able men. I'm not saying that that doesn't translate it correctly. But there is another way that these two words are most oftentimes translated in the scriptures. Let me remind you of a few of the times. Early in the Bible, in Genesis 6 chapter, when we see the intermarriages that created giants, they were mighty men, using the same Hebrew word here. When Joshua was going to go out to battle, he chose mighty men of valor these same two Hebrew words. You see, the point that I want you to see that as we look at a description of these Hebrew words, I want you to just notice, Gabor here is described, or it is defined as powerful by implication, warrior, tyrant, champion, chief, giant, man, mighty, strong, valiant. And then when the word that is translated from very able, probably a force whether of men, means or other resources, an army, wealth, virtue, valor, strength, able, active, an army, a band of men, a company, a force, goods, host, mighty, power, riches, strength, strong, substance, train. Valor, virtuous, war, worthy. Friends, does it get your attention like it got my attention when I began just digging into this verse 13 because I thought it was interesting that the Lord would simply say, these men are very able men. But then when I started looking, everywhere else this is translated, it's much stronger. Everywhere else is translated because they're describing physical strength. When you think of a man going into battle, and you think about David choosing his mighty men, oh, well definitely, we're going to describe those as mighty men of valor. When we think of Joseph going in and conquering Canaan's land, we're going to think of mighty men of valor when we think about fighting the most horrific enemy that's ever been fought, Satan. Why do we then translate it they're very able men for the service. I don't claim to have any of the level of knowledge that translators have of the language. But it's interesting to me that we would choose such weak words when everywhere else they're translated so strongly. I want to ask you something. Whenever God's people did not have religious leaders, I'm not talking about their warriors and, and, and thank God there were the courageous warriors but now let's talk about the priest. Let's talk about the religious leaders. When they did not have mighty men of valor, was it good or bad for the nation? Turn with me, if you will, to Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. And we're going to just scan a couple of things uh, for time's sake. But remember Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. This was where there were wicked shepherds. And most everyone agrees that studies this passage in depth. Says that the wicked shepherds that's being uh, described here are speaking of the kings and the priest. What is it that they were doing so wicked? When we skip down in the middle of verse 2, he says, this is the middle of verse 2 of the 34th chapter, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Oh, you eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. You see what he's saying? He says, what kind of shepherds is this? They make sure they're fed and they starve the sheep. They make sure they're clothed and they don't give the flock anything. As a matter of fact, if you skip down to verse 18, he describes it further. It is too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture, that you must tread down your feet the residue of your pasture, and to have drunk of the clear waters, that you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they eat what you have trampled with your feet, and they drink what you have fouled with your feet. And if you'll notice back there in 18, he even mentioned the residue of them. Now friends, there's probably not a lot of us here that knows this firsthand. But if you grew up in the country, and you didn't have the luxury of swimming in a a nice rectangle swimming pool, but instead you swam in a creek, you know exactly what he's talking about. The creek is the best place to swim until the cattle decide to come and get in the creek upstream. Everybody gets out of the creek. The water changes color, and it comes down. That is exactly what he's speaking of Of these leaders. He says, oh, you want to eat the good pasture and then trample down and leave residue on the pasture for the flock. You want to go in and drink of the clean water and then let the foul water float down to the flock. You see what he's describing? He's describing a mentality of wicked." Leaders, In other words, these men are not mighty men of valor. These men are ashamed to the cause of leadership. And these men are selfish. Instead of making sure they're providing for others, they're making sure that they receive the best and leave the worst for others. Now, as we go back to the beginning of the 34th chapter here of Ezekiel, notice how he also says how they've dealt carelessly. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor have you bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought for what was lost. Remember the the story of the 99 sheep that made it, but one was lost. But with the force and cruelty you have ruled them. What did he describe here? He describes a careless attitude. I don't care if the sheep are sick. I don't care if they're broken and need someone to bind them. I don't care if one's lost. I don't care. And then not only carelessness, he even mentions the word cruel. Selfish, careless, cruel. Mighty men of valor do not lead God's people this way. And then you say, what finally led to demise of God's kingdom so that they were taken over by Babylon and they were taken into captivity? This writing is here to show that if the leaders continue to be this kind of people, the nation is going to fall. That's exactly what is being taught in Malachi, the first and second chapter. And keep in mind kind of how this is working through the Old Testament. Ezekiel actually was part of the exile. In other words, he was prophesying saying, listen, if we don't turn this around, we're going to fall. And he actually lived through the fall and and being taken into exile. But then finally they come back and they rebuild. Now you would think it would be etched in their mind and in their knowledge. We can't do this again. But now the very close of the Old Testament, what's happening? Again, the problem is not just with, with the, the common man, if you will. The problem is with the religious leaders. Look as, again as we just look over a few things here. Look in the first chapter in verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am the father, this is Malachi 1 and 6. Where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. Now notice this. To you priest who despise my name. God is actually addressing the priest and says, I thought I'd be worth a little bit of honor. I thought you would at least glorify me some. Hey, priest, where is it? And he goes on to say, yet you say, he says, the priest, you despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And he talks about them bringing to the altar, sacrifices that are contemptible. And he even says in eight, you bring the blind, you bring the lame, you bring the sick. Remember back in Leviticus, that was totally against God's will. We were to bring, the, the God's people were to bring the first fruits and the best, and they were bringing the lame and the leftovers. And he says, is it because you despise my name? And then we come over to the second chapter in verse one and two, and he says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name. You see, it's the reminder of how important it is for any, any group of people to have strong leadership. And the Lord's church and, and God's people back in the Old Testament is no exception of that. But what is it that the Lord needs? Is it just average? No, these people back in First Chronicles, the ninth chapter that were being complimented for their great leadership, he literally describes them as "mighty men of valor." I want to encourage you, if you're the head of your home, give yourself a little test and, and ask yourself, am, am I just going through the motions? Or do I recognize the fact that my family has an enemy and I'm standing as a mighty man of valor on behalf of my family to fight the enemy? If you're a deacon, if you're an elder, if you have a place of leadership, do you just see it as, as, well, it's just a responsibility I have? Or do you see it as, this is a place where God wants men to stand the strongest, mighty men of valor. There is another little phrase that once you study it just a little deeper, just a little bit below the surface, it leaps off the page. Go back to 1 Chronicles, the ninth chapter, our text for tonight. And notice, and we're still staying with this because he gives us an example here of a leader, and it just kind of blends in here in verse 20. We're in 1 Chronicles, the ninth chapter, that's back on 366, your Pew Bible. Notice what he says in 20. And Phinehas, The son of Eleazar had been the officer over them in time past. The Lord was with him. Now wait a minute. When we're having this list of all of these names, why does he pause at Phinehas and and add in that little phrase, the Lord was with him? What is it that Phinehas did? that got God's attention so much that even in the book of Psalms, he would be mentioned again for the great faith and zeal that he had. Do you remember what he did? Let's glance back at Numbers, the 25th chapter, and we'll just scan a little bit of of this story. It actually begins several chapters earlier, and we just simply will not take the time to do that. But what happens by the time we come to Numbers, the 25th chapter, is that the children of Israel were starting to practice Harlotry with Moab. And that's in, you'll see that in verse 1. And so the Moabites had actually invited the children of Israel to come in and to start worshiping their gods. And a lot of fornication and lewdness no doubt would have been a part of this. And so God speaks up, and notice what he asks the leaders to do in verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his uh, his men who join to Baal at Peor. What a sight. Now as we read on, And and just try to imagine this. As we read on, this plague, if you want to call it that, that God is giving as a punishment of them to hang their own men, ends up there'll be 24,000 dead before this is over. Because God told them not to join with the foreign people, and He told them not to bow down and worship idols. They disobeyed many things that God had commanded. And so the punishment of execution is given. Imagine on Sunday morning we had almost 900. Imagine if everybody that was here this morning died about 26 times over. Would that get your attention? If God had that many people slain, you would think people would just power down in submission and say, God, I'm sorry, we repent, God forgive us, we were wrong about this. But notice this one rebellious man in verse six. And indeed one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midnight woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Can you imagine that kind of rebellion? That kind of ignorance. Everybody's weeping over what's taking place. And this man comes in and, and he does have a woman that is of a great reputation in, in, the, uh, in her area, in her country. And it's almost, I guess, as if he's showing her off. Hey, look who we have. Now what's going to happen? You remember what we're looking at? Who's going to be the leader That is a mighty man of valor to say somebody's got to fight sin. Verse 7, Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw it, he arose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Now, why did the plague stop? If you skip down in verse 11, in the middle it says, Because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him, a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Notice this. Because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now friends, this evening as we make a second point and as we transition not only from leadership, it's important in leadership, but it's important of all of life as we serve God and that is let's stand up for something. Let's be zealous. Here's a man that hears God giving the the declare to execute those that, that are following Baal and here this man marches in with pride and says, look at the Midianite woman. And Phinehas grabs the javelin. Even though Moses was there, even though other leaders were there, he was the high priest. The high priest grabs the javelin and thrusts both of them to death. God, what did you think about it? We don't have to guess. God said, I love his zeal. God loves it when we stand for righteousness and are proactive. Friends, how would God describe you? How would He describe me? Not on a log? Passive? Or would He say, I love the energy that person has to serve me I love the excitement that they have when they serve me I love the zeal that they have do you remember Paul before he became Paul? Do you remember all the persecuting he did? at least he did it zealously and God was able to turn him from one that persecuted to a Christian who served as a missionary and an apostle in a zealous manner do you remember Peter? His sword couldn't stay sheathed. He had to bring it out and cut off an ear. He had to step out of the boat and and try to walk on water. He had to be the one to say, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll give my life for you. No, you won't, Peter. You'll deny me three times. But what did the Lord do? He was able to take that man and mature him and grow him so that he became an awesome leader even among the apostles. Why? God can work with zealous people. The people God has a problem with are, are those that are apathetic. Those that are fine to stand for anything or even set for it for that matter. They don't want to take a movement. Take a stand. Make a charge. Do you remember James and John? In their youth as disciples. And I'm not talking about youth. I'm talking about their when they first became disciples. Do you remember They looked at a village and said, Lord, let's call down fire on these people. At least they wanted to do something. Lord, I want to call you boys sons of thunder. And what did he do? He was able to take that zeal and nurture it and grow it to the point that later he'd be the disciple of love. First and second and third John, it'd be him that writes and calls them my dear children. Friends, God can work with us and do tremendous things for His glory if we'll just do something. Christianity, from the beginning, has been making a commitment to serve. In 1 Chronicles, the ninth chapter, and I'm only going to point this out because we don't have time to elaborate. If you were to scan with me in verse 17, notice this next slide. You see there on the slide, verse 17 mentions that there were many gatekeepers. We're not talking about just leaders now. We're talking about a place for so many of the Levites in the service. And then when we we skip down to uh, verse 26... There were gatekeepers that actually took charge of the chambers and the treasures. See, there's a lot of gold and silver stored, a lot of provisions stored. And then there were those that had the responsibility of serving vessels. There were those that were over the furnishings of of the worship place. And in, in verse 31, there were those that were in the office over those things that were baked in the pans. And then... In 32, there were those that were over preparing the showbread. And in 33, there were singers. And there had to be singers working shift work because the Lord wanted singers there day and night. What's the point? As you read through this, it becomes real obvious that the Lord had a place for everybody that was His child. And it's the same In the church today, that's what 1 Corinthians 12 teaches us. But I want you to go back, if you still have your Bible open, and notice these words in 23. He talks about their children were in charge of the assignments given them in 23. And when you look at 27, it says they had responsibilities. And because of the responsibilities in 27, they lodged all around the house. In other words, they slept in the house because they had responsibilities in the Lord's house, and they had to stay there. And then when we skip down to verse 31... We see their office, and this is even the office of taking care of the things baked in pans. It says it was a trusted office. Do you notice those three words? In charge, responsible, trusted. Is that the way you look at whatever way you can serve God? Do you look at it as that's something God would want me to be in charge of? That's something that God gives me as responsibility. If He gives me the ability and the opportunity to do it, that becomes my responsibility. Can I say I am trustworthy as a servant? You know, I couldn't help but think as, as I went over this list, this was all of the things that were needed on a daily basis in the temple for God's people. In other words, just to keep that, didn't have to do with all of the other tribes and what they did. This was just the Levites in God's house, what was needed. That got me to thinking. When you think about us coming together, now there's a lot of ministries beyond what we're going to mention here, but when you think about us coming together to worship, And then Bible classes, Sunday morning and Wednesday night. What would be your guess of how many people are needed just to do those two things? Worship and Bible class. Put a number in your head. How many are used on a weekly basis at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ? Bible class and worship. As we scroll over these next three pages, you're going to find out that every week there are 238 people that are used to make it happen. Isn't it amazing how things haven't changed? God's people have always needed constant workers. And the only way we enjoy what we're enjoying right now is because so many. See right here, it takes 87 teachers. just And we're not talking about teachers rotating in and out. Sunday morning and Wednesday night, 87 people will have taught. When we look at preparing the building, when we think of preparing the bulletin so that people know their place to serve, when we think about the one who schedules the worship leaders, those who organize and substitute, it takes 41 leaders and workers in the nursery just on Sunday morning alone. Twelve greet every Sunday. Next slide. Eighty-eight. Lead the services and work in the nursery on Sunday evening. Four lead Wednesday evening devotional. One unlocks and locks the building for each service. Three stock the cards and the name tags and the pens and the pews. One purchases the juice and the bread every week. Uh, two to four prepare the Lord's Supper uh, every Saturday for uh, set up and clean up the Lord's Supper. See, there's right there, that's five or six, seven people that a lot of people come in every week and they take the Lord's Supper and they don't realize that that many people have been involved every week just to make it happen. We keep going down the list of those who count, those who count contribution. Next slide. Those who collect our cards each week, those who work the Welcome Center, those who check on classes to make sure teachers are in place, the 11 who work the Sound those who uh, schedule and sub the sound, those who ha- make sure that the equipment is ready, and, and list sheets, the point is this. God's house has always, always, back under the old covenant when it was the temple, under the new covenant when it's the church, God's house has always had people that were assigned. People that said, it's my place. People that said, I'll take charge of that. People that said, you can trust me. I'll do what I said I'll do. Friends, find your place. Find your place. I ask myself this question What if everybody in the Mount Juliet Church of Christ served with the same dedication that I serve? Would we have anything going on this week? Would there be a Wednesday evening Bible class? Would there be various ministries? We have a congregation that serves God diligently. I think for most of us, the answer is most definitely yes. But if it's not yes for you, find your place. As we close this, I'd like for you to think about this next slide. The Lord has never looked for volunteers. I don't like the word volunteers. You'll ever, I don't know if you've ever heard me say, we're looking for volunteers. Volunteer is saying, I'll make the choice. I think I want to be involved in that as if it's my option. Friends, if we're children of God, service is no option. Whenever I say I want to be baptized into Christ, I have said I am ready to give my life in service to God. We don't come up out of that water as a volunteer. We come up out of that water having a new master. And we've become his servant. Tonight, do you have that master? Tonight, are you faithfully serving that master? Thank God for mighty men of valor that's willing to lead. Thank God when there's every member that's willing to find their place. And let's make sure that we all fulfill our place. If we can help you in any way this evening, if you want to be baptized into Christ, if you want to be restored back to His kingdom... If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.